pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Happy holidays, Keith. It's already that time of year. Oh, I love this time of year. I, I like this time of year a lot, but the last few years, I also find it a little sad because it's the end of the year. And I keep thinking every time we get to the holidays, man, another year gone by, another year to come. It it, it goes by so fast at, at our age and our in our early to mid-30s. I know. That's why I kind of... Like, we just celebrated Christmas, and for me, it's like, I kind of love the whole vibe of December from the 1st to the 25th, and then that one, you, you can feel that week between Christmas and New Year's just kind of becoming just winter. You could, people yeah, taking yeah. down the decorations, and you're like, what? No, 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 let's, let's watch another Christmas special. Right, right. Ideally... You keep the decorations up. Uh, I think a lot of people will wait until after New Year's. Even the Rockefeller tree will stay decorated and up uh, for, I think, like maybe 10 days after New Year's. Because, yeah, people just don't want to say goodbye to the season yet because there's not really much to look forward to afterwards. But it warms the heart. It does. And, you know, I like I agree. I enjoy a lot of Christmas festivities. I also enjoy a lot of Christmas specials. When I was a kid, I Loved watching with my family the Charlie Brown Christmas special, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer one. Uh, what was that production company called again? Bass and uh, – uh, Like the one – the stop motion one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. But anyways, all those ones, you know, like uh, Jack Frost and you know, uh, all – The Heat Miser. Yeah, yeah. The, day without, the Year Without Santa Claus. And... Right, right, yeah. I mean I think Rudolph was the original and the classic one. But yeah, it was just fun of the Frosty and the Snowman specials. Were any of those particularly like something you would look forward to? Did you have any favorites among those specials? I don't know if we have this in television now. It, like it's because a lot of TV kind of comes out at, in periods of time. It, it's not really seasonal based except maybe the stuff that's still on network. But when all TV was running on like, oh, you would have your Halloween episodes, the Christmas episodes, they were like, you know, it was always like the last of the year. Simpsons, uh, uh, Festivus. Um, even though oh, I'm, yes. I love uh, Festivus. I'm counting that. That counts. Oh, well, you know, I love um, I, I mentioned Bob's Burgers for their Halloween episodes. I also love their Christmas episodes. Those can be very funny. And you know, as a kid, too, I enjoyed all the Nickelodeon christmas episodes of the nicktoons those were all very good i think one that stood out to me a lot was uh the hey arnold christmas special in which he helps mr win find his long lost daughter from vietnam that was a dramatic one but you know like it just i always thought that was so great like how you know everyone from you know tv film it's just christmas is all around you and it's hard not to get swept up in the spirit of it those tend to be a little bit just extra special uh, like I, I just think uh, like even a lot of the episodes that we covered this past uh, section, The Office, How I Met Your Mother, M How I Met Your Mother, Always <laughs> How I Sunny, Met Your Mother, How I Met Your Mother, uh, Always Sunny had a great Christmas. I think they had like a two-parter, if I remember. Yeah, they correct. did. The thing I remember most about that 
because I don't really watch that one too much, but I definitely remember Frank hiding in the couch. They sold that as like a, a singular DVD, if I remember. Like they, it was like back. Uh, but oh yeah, him coming out of the couch—that's the memorable. That's like the GIF. That was a wild scene and one of the most wild in the whole series. And then uh, you're right. The Office definitely has some great Christmas episodes. I think the Benny Hanna Christmas one was. Thirty Rock had a great one too. Like it, it, it's just yep. we always like. It's just not it, like a. We love to see our characters happy. That's kind of when they let their guard down. But it's just you could. It's just like putting on a nice fireplace, having a nice usually a nice red wine or a glass of whiskey and just being around like we uh shout out to our friends we have been for 10 years doing a christmas friend get together for yeah since college and it's the old uh the old secret santa it's always the old secret santa yeah that's always fun to do and to personalize these gifts and you know sometimes make a little bit of a of a fun joke out of all of it you know uh so that that's a really great tradition that we're lucky to keep going uh, so yeah, it's just a nice like month. <laughs> I agree. And if anything, Christmas day itself is almost like a sad day. Cause that's the end of all the Christmas festivities. Like you were saying, it's kind of like you, you love everything leading up to Christmas and it's said to have to move on to the next thing. Um, but you know, it's, uh, we don't have a Christmas episode per se to talk about today in fact we wanted to give like a gift <laughs> to people who might not be aware uh you know i thought for the holidays it'd be fun to maybe do like a one-off sort of failed pilot little uh christmas bonus and this is our gift to you today we're going to be talking about a failed pilot from all the way back in 1990 for a would-be series called puchinski peter boyle is a tough ill-mannered cop who is run down in the line of duty but that's not the end of his story. No, no. He's reincarnated. Ha! Surprise! As a streetwise bulldog in Puchinski. What are you going to do now? Well, first I'm going to try licking myself, and then I'm going to catch my killer. Now, this, this show, this pilot, is infamous for having one of, the most one of the most bizarre concepts for a show. Right? This is about Peter Boyle playing a detective who is killed but is brought back to life in the form of a talking bulldog and him and his former partner would i guess in each episode solve a crime of the week together as like a weird take on the buddy cop genre very out there and it wind up we'll discuss why for many reasons it was not picked up for a series but you know there's a lot of weird ideas out there for tv shows and Keith, I, I don't know if uh, you can think of some other weird ones, but I was looking up a list before, and uh, I don't know. Like, what's your, what do you, what do you think when you see a concept like this for for TV? I feel like if that could be produced into a pilot, anything could be. Well, I, I, there, I, I sent you an article about like the making of this, and it, it's kind of not surprising how this all came together. By the, the, at least the minds that were behind it, because of if you look at the other projects that they've worked on, it kind of has that like fantastical, whimsical essence to it. But I definitely think that this, if it just came out, this would have fit great in the two thousands. Like it, well, like, it would have been it, more it, ironic. Yes, it. They played it <laughs> to its benefit and to its detriment. They played it very straight. 
very sincere, which is, is so bizarre. And also, maybe they would have been able to come up with a better animatronic talking dog uh, we'll than they would that. have. Yeah, you know, then in 1990, uh, what? Yeah, you know, we'll get to what they were able to come up with, which it's not great. But I, I looked up a list too of just some of the weirdest TV concepts going back, and you know, there's some recurring themes here. So one I found from all the way back in 1965 is a is um is a show called My Mother the Car, and it's about a guy whose mother dies, but her spirit goes into his car. So his mom, because a talking car, that is a show from the sixties. So, you know, between that and this, there's like, I don't know, a thing about people dying and coming back as some non-human form <laughs> that uh, is like a fantasy sort of theme. And it's funny to me too. It's funny to me too, that we'll see in this pilot as well, how quick a person is to just accept this this talking person who was brought back to life as a dog or a car or whatnot. That, that is kind of a bizarre theme. Uh, what else did we have? Haven't you ever seen the Michael Keaton, Jack Frost? We don't have time for existentialism. You just have to accept that the dad is your, the snowman is your dad and move on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that. true. That happens in movies as well. And in fact, people take the news and their response is like a weird quip. I remember in that movie, Someone says, well, I guess Snow Dad is better than No Dad, which I disagree. I'd rather not have a dad than have a snowman for a dad, but that's just me. I, I think whoever wrote that line should be very proud of themselves at the time. They were, like, There's that some is... <laughs> amazing lines in this pilot that we're going to discuss today. Oh, yes. Uh, so th there's just, um, I don't know, you go through history, you find some obscure shows that maybe – yeah, it, it all has to start with the premise, right? And I think when you look back at some of these other shows, like uh, I was going through a list. Do you do you remember there was a show about the Geico cavemen that they made? Oh, that lasted like less than a, a season. Nick Kroll was in that, I think. He was, he was. There's a show from the 80s. I think it was like a UK show called Heil Honey, I'm Home. And it was about like, Hitler in a domestic comedy situation. And I think that was made ironically, but still a very bizarre and frankly offensive thing to to make. You know, I, I, uh, there's another one I found called like Homeboys in Outer Space. Just basically like concepts that just are impossible to sustain for a series. I think when you when you come up with an idea for a show, you really have to think about something that is sustainable for a long term series. And anytime you see like a, a a bizarre premise, it's just not something that's gonna work for several episodes or seasons. It's just you know maybe as a one-off movie, but not not for like a recurring story. I'm kind of curious, like the the mindset that the and I'm not fully judging at first, uh, like the mindset behind signing off, greenlighting a show like any of those, like that that homeboy show. Um, cause I was, I, I, I'm, my brain is now filling up with like all these failed pilot ideas, uh, that I, that I can remember, but I like to think there's always someone going like, Hey, if Alf ran for a couple seasons and Alf is ridiculous. It's not only like, it's like, imagine if you eat tea, but with the spirit and essence of a late night cigar smoking talk show host, it's like, it's right. that but uh, like I remember in the '80s, and I don't even think it, it. 
I think it was it ran at least one season, but there was a show about a uh, this family adopts a girl, but she's a robot, like a young girl. And tragically, the That's girl is right. not a very good actress. Her name's like it's like Becky one five four. Like I, that is somehow in my head, but uh, there, uh, you know, I'm gonna bring up the late and great Matthew Perry before he and I think we mentioned it in the Friends show. He did two pilots. He did Friends and he did a LAX nineteen or two thousand forty seven. Oh, about, yeah, you're right. He did this the sci fi show about LA uh, luggage handlers in the yes. future. What a I don't know. Uh, that that that's an interesting concept to say the least. But again, not really one that people can really relate to or have anything to hold on to. There, it's just it's just really out there. But. I and also there was a, I think Lonely Island had a pilot as well, uh, or a variety sketch show before they even before Andy Samberg even got on SNL. Like I think from their success from YouTube, they went they did a pilot and didn't do, I think it only made it past the pilot stage and then Andy Samberg got SNL. But the Heat Vision Jack, that that was a I think that aired on Fox. Oh my God, my brain. Uh, had Jack Black as like a motorcycle. Ben Stiller's in it, or Ben Stiller like directed Owen Wilson, uh, and Jack Black, and it's like time travel. It was by the mind of the guy who did Community, Dan Harmon, way before like oh, okay. two thousand one two. Only made it past the po- never made it past like the second episode. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a bummer too. Sometimes when a show maybe initially gets greenlit, but after really bad ratings, it gets canceled mid season. You have all these unaired episodes that were produced. I, I one more that I'll mention that that I'm seeing on this list here is one called Mr. Smith, which is about a talking orangutan that is a political consultant. Uh, no, no, you're making you're making this up. Why have you? I remember when you showed me Puchin, you you showed me Puchinski when we lived together, and that was one of the hard, that that's a hard laugh right there that you got from me. What Mr. Smith? What year is this? 1983. I I, I don't know if this aired. Oh no, that's a real chimp, like, isn't it? <laughs> probably. It's it was an NBC sitcom canceled after only 13 episodes. Oh god, they filmed and that's another 13. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how you can have a a show. How is it sustainable to produce a series that requires talking animals? That's just so difficult to, especially like an orangutan. You have to like work with this animal on like a daily basis for for you know if it's a successful show, it'd be for years. It's just not practical to do that. And we'll see with Puchinski too. There's times where they work with an actual dog in addition to the animatronic dog and talking animals. Again, in a movie, maybe you know for for a one-off project, that seems a lot easier. But uh, also because a lot of times, you know, a TV show, especially like in the '80s and the '90s definitely like a lower production scale so you're you're just making it harder on yourself to do it in that format well i hate to break it to you jj but mr ed ran for 143 episodes and all they had to do was put a piece of peanut butter under the horse's mouth like yeah but that was done yeah. in a way that was so transparently you know hokey yeah. did they ever go the on horse- adventures did, did mr ed ever solve any crime i think mr ed just stayed in the stall and he was that's like that's what i thought he was he like just, he just it, stood there like, and talked he was like to the wilson. guy he was like wilson from uh uh, uh home improvement, home improvement. Like, 
Yeah. Like, I just have a problem here. Well, well, JJ, you got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've only seen clips of that from other shows referencing it or something. But, yeah, as far as I know, I've never seen Mr. Ed leave his stall. So that had to be much easier on them, on the production to, to film it that way. But let's see here. How, how did this come to be? Puchinski, this very interesting and unique pilot. So this aired. This, this this did get broadcast on NBC on July 9th, 1990. So maybe something that was kind of just snuck into the summer when not a lot of people are watching as much TV as the colder months. They have to so be out was, there, though. Those There has to be like at least dozens of people who were just watching NBC at the time. And this pilot aired and never was well, seen again. <laughs> especially even – yeah, because even for uh, the 90s, you'd still get millions of viewers even if it was the summertime. Yeah. like. You know, July is uh, you know, usually a, a lull in the broadcast schedule. So this was developed by writer Lou Diamond, producer David Kirshner, who came up with the idea. And they really were excited about this. And they even had help from film director Bryant Levant. They really, really were adamant about this concept. And even to this day, they still stand by the premise of this show. So, you know... Stand by your ideas, I guess, and I'll try to put myself in their shoes and see what they saw that could have been potential for a long-running series. But even uh, NBC president Brandon Tartikoff, he he was sold on this as well. They they even got John Ritter to sign on as a producer, and he helped out with casting, and he was helping to sell the show. So people were really uh, passionate about this this premise this concept and getting this made and being successful so yeah it's interesting that that many people especially that many people high up in the television industry would be so gung-ho about what seems like as just you know from an outsider's perspective something that really didn't stand a chance you know as i was watching this and just like you know kind of studying this for the this podcast i was going like you know this this got past like so many stages for it to get made that like people were interested and um it must i think the idea is somewhat intriguing enough to see like hey let's give it a try cuz it it's not an hour drama it's not NYPD blue it's not it's not that it's kind of it, it is a half hour it's only like you know simple 22 minutes it's in right, easy yeah, to watch right yeah not not long at um, all and it's like okay, a comedy where a man solves crime with his talking dog. I like that has never been done. Like I think someone is going like that has never been done before. If it, if this is a success, it puts us on the map. Like like we have to. It's low hanging fruit, kind of. In a way, I find that this could be something that would appeal to kids to have a talking dog. And I mean, maybe you could have sold this as a cartoon to Nickelodeon or something. Like if it was, you know, minus the the death of Peter Boyle's character in the beginning. But you know what I mean? Like it's such a silly idea. Didn't they? Or like because I uh, this just reminded me that there was kind of a show like this in the 2000s. The 100. Oh, 100 Good Deeds. Of Eddie McDowd. That's right. Yeah. So in that one. That never ended. We never found out what happened. he transcended right right i i think he wind up completing like 15 good deeds before the show got canceled and i guess he's a dog forever but you're right that that was eventually taken and that works better for 
a young adult audience than this. I, I don't know what how many adults would be able to stomach this, especially with the talking dog and everything for you know, a, a weekly basis. But um, it could, I, and the only other merit I could possibly see, too, is that this is sort of like an ironic concept, like almost like satirical in a way on these on the sort of buddy cop genre if they want to play it up almost like as a parody even i could maybe see that working in the same vein maybe as a um angie tribeca but maybe it would have been too early for that i, I don't know it, it it just seems like so zany that maybe they were being ironic or something that's that's where i'm like oh man like you're getting a comedy that isn't uh like uh that isn't like a traditional sitcom that, you know, it's not a three camera. It is like a single camera. This would have done well in like 2000, 2001 with like Malcolm in the middle where it could have been a little bit more not, not in your face. I'm not trying to go for that, but it could just lean, lean on like it, uh, like winking at the audience. Like, Hey, I know what we're doing, but we're going to have fun solving crimes. We're going to at least like, you know, Puchinski will, that first scene alone shows that this is not made for kids. So maybe we can toe the line a little bit. We can go there, but you know, I, I, we could talk about this at the end in the retrospective, but in the right hands, this show could at least, least been five seasons if done right. It's all in the writing. It's all in the writing. Where would this show go? That's what I ask you. Well, I do I do now find it intriguing to imagine what this show would have looked like in the 2000s on a Fox or something where it could be a little cruder and play up the ridiculousness of it all. That maybe could have worked. But again, I, I just feel like having an animatronic bulldog, even if you come up with a, a, a good-looking one, that's just really not a feasible thing to work with for a long-term project, I don't think. I... I'm shocked that they, like, I'm shocked at the animatronics. I think animatronics are kind of, you know, the Jack Frost animatronics. Snowman look terrible. I just, I just heard like a, maybe a couple weeks ago that they, the Twilight Baby, with the weird face on it. Oh right, I forgot that, about that. That was supposed to be an animatronic, and they shot it with an animatronic baby, and it looked monstrous. So, well, like the Puchinski. Uh, the Puchinski uh, dog was uh, who? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, speaking of, so this, so Industrial Light and Magic was commissioned to build an animatronic bulldog, and they had three months to do this, but the final product was not great. No, and not that I'm saying that I could make an animatronic bulldog in any span of time, but. One of the biggest problems with this dog when it was received and the production crew, like, you know, the, the producers and all, they were very horrified when they received this. <laughs> the, <Kill> they, <laughs> the arms of this bulldog were too long. Apparently, they were like three times as long as a normal bulldog. So can you imagine a, a, a squat little bulldog with very long legs, like standing up like that is probably a very surreal sort of thing, uncanny, uncanny valley type territory but that's what they received this very like long armed there was they were even saying it was almost like human arms how muscular they were too i'm sure that was like very bizarre to, to see in person so they but they had to film this this because they had no time to, to fix this so yeah. basically the solution was to just film this animatronic bulldog in close-up shots 
and you wouldn't wouldn't see these ghastly monstrous muscular arms uh but the problem with that is by zooming in very closely on its face you see how bizarre that also looks because yeah the the eyes are kind of like uneven and the mouth never is in sync with the voice and it's it's almost like it's always behind or basically it's very limited right the mouth only opens and shuts in a very static way and uh you know it's just not convincing at all that there would be a voice with words coming out of that dog and that alone is what makes this pilot uh so special like that would like just the 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 puppetry or just like yeah it's not syncing up it just looks weird on a close-up it's it's funny like it's i this is a good gift to get people because maybe it deserves to be one pilot but hey it got made it's out there it's free on youtube folks like it is it's you can watch it you can watch it right now on youtube and i'm telling you you'll be glad you did there's really nothing like it uh but then you know Peter Boyle being cast to play Puchinski, he was the first choice, and he signed on for this. And yeah, you know, everyone was thrilled because Peter Boyle, I guess at the time, was more of a working film actor. So to yeah. get him for television was a big get. I know nowadays everyone remembers him as playing Frank and Everybody Loves Raymond, but for the longest time he was more of a film actor, right? I mean, he was, um, I think, uh, what. Tim Robbins. He, he, he was in Taxi Driver. He was in, he was in uh, Taxi Driver, the, but he's in the Tim Allen Christmas movie, um, The Santa Claus. He was in The Santa Claus, right? He was like the boss that's very judgy oh. about uh, Tim Allen becoming Santa Claus. So, yeah, he, he was, he's was he been in a lot of movies here and there. But, but yeah, uh, yeah. In, in like the 70s and 80s, he was like, he was a gruff like character actor. He was your best friend. He could go to bat for you. Right. He was a real like professional who knew his lane. And so... Yeah, he's good to play a sort of cop that we'll meet in the beginning of this pilot who is, you know, he's gruff and he's, you know, kind of shameless in how he is very, I don't know, he'll like shamelessly flirt with women. And uh, I don't know, he's like the the old and crusty but benign older police officer who's paired with the younger and impatient, uh, you know, cop who needs to learn something or two. So. Yeah, that's a, a very familiar formula, and he's a good fit for that. Speaking of that younger cop, I just, like, I was wondering if, like, oh, I said to myself, like, oh, outside of Peter Boyle, who, of course, went on to Everybody's Lo- Loves Raymond, I'm like, oh, man, it sucks that, like, none of these actors found work after this, or I haven't really seen them in much. But the young, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, George Newburn. George, George Newburn. He... Uh, is the voice of our Superman. If Kevin Conroy is uh, Batman in the DC animated universe, uh, George Newbern is our Superman. So I'm like, that. yeah, that was a fun fact for me. That is a fun fact, and I wouldn't have guessed that because you know, his voice portrayal of Superman is one of, I don't know, like high dignity and confidence and... I don't know. It's just very different from this character who's very neurotic and all over the place. And I also recognize Amy Yazbeck, who plays the love interest to the young detective from The Mask. I don't know her from anything else, but I know her from that. Oh, was she like the friend? Like she worked in the bank with him? She no, she's the uh, the news reporter who betrays Jim Carrey. And uh, there's an uncut scene where she's thrown into 
a newspaper processor or something. Uh, but she like betrays him to the gangster oh, in, uh, oh, okay. midway through the movie. She ended up marrying John Ritter because of this. Like he, that that's oh, how interesting. They, that's how they met. So good things do happen uh, out of bad projects. And I, I also can't help but think that if this show did go on for several seasons, we might not have gotten Frank uh, uh, Frank Barone in Everybody Loves Raymond because that show comes out in 96. Uh, who knows? But uh, that's a, yes. he would be doing voiceover like uh, like how like I'm, sh- I'm that's true. Sure. That's true. Yeah. I like to think I did think about that. I did think he about wouldn't that. have to be he would have to be on set. Right. He just had to film the opening scenes and then he's just doing voiceover work for what would be the rest of the series if this got picked up. So, yeah, NBC executives wound up watching this pilot on a big screen, which accentuated the flaws of the animatronic bulldog. And so the show was not picked up. Uh, Tartikoff even told the, you know, like Lou Diamond and David Kirshner, like, listen, I loved it except for the dog. It looked terrible. And they agreed. And unfortunately, that was the end of that. And, you know, what else could you do? Like they said, at the time, they, they you have a timeline when you make these pilots. I don't think you really could ask for more time. I think you you, you have the window, the, the budget that you have, and you really have to prove yourself. It's more of a proof of concept. And so you're not really going to be given, you know, uh, especially for such a vital component. I can only imagine how much it costs for this animatronic bulldog to make in the first place, even though it didn't come out that well. I'm sure a lot of work still went into it. And so it did probably cost a lot of money and they were not going to get more to read. Oh, yeah. I, was Henson not available? Like... Was the Henson Company not available to make this puppet? That's a good question. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Industrial Light Magic has a you know very great reputation. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I, would, I, would, I would trust them to be able to put something together. But, I mean, also, it's just um, a tough ask. And I'm sure that they weren't, um, again, being a TV pilot, the, the amount of money that they had to spend to pay Industrial Light Magic maybe wouldn't be as much as they would need to really come up with something that – could work long term unfortunately so they thought let's give the dog long arms and fuck this show like <laughs> well you know maybe I, that they, they couldn't put the same you know what i mean like if, if they could if maybe um i don't know for maybe they weren't able to pay them as much money to to really yeah, they, make something more special than what they wound up getting and you know you get what you pay for maybe yeah, but also i'm sure other you know, people are working on better projects over over there too. right right and this maybe wasn't a priority for them but also I don't know if this kind of thing had been made before for this kind of project, you know, to make a talking bulldog uh, for a TV show. That's, you know, I, I'm sure this is maybe the, the first of their kind trying to do this sort of thing. And yeah, you know, again, I, they have uh, one of the highest reputations in the industry. So you would think that, you know, if they couldn't do it, I doubt anyone else could. How about that? All right. All right. He said it here first. Okay. So yeah, here we go. We got just this one episode. It airs, like I said, July 9th, 1990. So, Keith, without further ado, take us to the pilot. Flight 527, runway 8 kilo, you're cleared for takeoff. Just, uh... 11 months before I was born. I was born like a month and a few days. I wonder if my parents were home just like, you know, okay, we just got him into bed. He's finally sleeping. What's on TV tonight? Puchinski. <laughs> your, <laughs> your poor parents are exhausted 
and they finally got you to bed and all they have to spend their valuable free time that they have very little of is to watch Puchinski. So here we go. Let's imagine your parents <laughs> turning on the TV to NBC and this is what they get. And yes, the music is this sort of riff that sounds like bad to the bone, but it's really a sort of knockoff, generic sounding sort of thing with a little bit of like jazz and I don't know, maybe like a gruff noir sort of sound. On repeat. It, yes. it, like it played repeat. Yeah, it's just a, a very short little uh, sound bite there that they use over and over again. Uh, so we get just our title card here, Puchinski. Cute little title card here with two little paws for O's. And uh, here we have our opening scene. This takes place in Chicago. And we overhear Sergeant Puchinski receiving a call about a robbery. He tells the dispatcher that she has a sexy voice and. I guess she's kind of flirty back. I, I don't know. But uh, we see a young detective, McKay, interviewing a robbery victim. When uh, Pachinski arrives, I guess he's kind of late to the scene and they're having an argument. I, I, I kind of <laughs> there's like a funny comment that somebody makes. I can't really tell who about, uh, hey, what took you so long? Were you getting a donut? There's oh, like some very the guy complaining. dialogue. Yeah, it was about the guy complaining about the cops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you're kind of getting is very like some. It's so over the top. This this show from like these little background lines and jokes here. That's why I think sometimes it may be being like a little ironic here. Uh, so then we got another scene where Pachinski he's buying a hot dog, and he's noticing some kids in an alley beating up a bulldog. And these aren't like teenagers. These are like I don't know, eleven, twelve year old kids beating up a poor dog. And Puchinski, when he first goes up to them, he's like, hey, like, knock it off. They, The one kid brandishes, like, a switchblade knife. It's like, geez, like, these are they, – they look like suburban kids, first of all. They look like – you know, they were, like, taken right out of seventh grade class and from some, like, Chicago suburb. And they're going to pull out a knife on an old man for asking them to not beat up a dog? I, I don't know. That was kind of crazy. And then, uh, you know, after scaring off the kids with a gun. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's how he, that's how you counter a knife. You scare a bunch of kids off with a gun. Yeah, to be fair, gun trumps knife uh, <laughs> as something taught on Always Sunny as well. But, uh, yeah, after casing the kids away, oh, he's crazy. Uh, you know, Pajinsky goes up to this dog. He's, like, a little scared. And you have, like, a little nice scene here where Pajinsky gives the dog hot dog and warms up to him and they befriend each other and Puchinski identifies with the bulldog like oh look you're you're old and you're ugly all alone i can relate to that so yeah. getting a little foreshadow here that they're pretty much one in the same this scene should be studied for generations because just how we get from a to b at the end of this is just like okay we meet the dog because a bunch of kids are kicking it and beating it up so yeah did you need that like couldn't you just hear a, a sad whimpering dog who's hungry and give him the hot dog like that would be enough but to add like these kids who you'd never expect to like be beating up a dog like you know they're like 10 years old and they're brandishing knives it is so it's it's so absurd like i get it he's a gruff cop you kind of already showed that he's a gruff cop by talking with the um with the dispatcher because she's already yeah. like, oh, I already know about you. Like I've heard this is my first time. I know about you, Puchinski. And, uh, you know, I you know, you kind of get that as corny as it is. It's like, OK, this is a guy who loves animals and hates people like it's like he's the the years have not been too kind. 
And in my imagining of this, like, I imagine a plot line where, you know, he probably has an estranged daughter, two ex-wives. It's just like, this is the kind of guy who just life, he hates life and life hates him. I get it. Well, like you say, he's got a very um, gruff personality. He's got no qualms about his behavior, you know, flirting with women and, you know, whatever else he has to do. Like, right. He, He doesn't care what other people think about him. But at the same time, I guess you get a sense that he's like streetwise, and he's you know he's not really afraid of anything. Oh, we'll we'll come to know that like he kind of suffers, uh, or he has that sitcom trope that like he could be as gruff and gritty as he wants to, but he's very good at his job. It's it's like the Michael Scott like you could be as stupid as you want to and awkward, but he's very good at his job. Like he's the best. Right. He- exactly. Like he's uh, basically. He's earned his dues, and yeah. he's seen it all. He can do what he wants, say what he wants. He has a reputation. You got to go along. What's it to you, Grandpa? Easy, fella. I lost my head, you know? When you get to be my age, you forget things, like, like whether or not this gun is loaded. Well, there's only one way to find out. This guy's crazy. Come on! Uh, so we get an act break, and when we come back, we're now at the precinct. And McKay and Puchinski, they're driving up to the precinct now. The bulldog's in the back seat. So Puchinski has taken this dog already. He's, it's his pet. He's taking it right off the street. McKay is complaining, like, oh, that dog stinks. And then as they're getting out of the car, we meet Sergeant Shriver, who I guess is a rival sergeant to Puchinski. And they kind of trade insults, right? Shriver is making fun of the dog. And Puchinski has a line where he goes, um... Oh, like, I'd hate for your wife to find out I've been unfaithful to her. <laughs> Puchinski! Uh, damn it, Puchinski. And and Shriver has that classic, like, buzz cut. Oh, yeah, I've seen this guy. I think this actor, let me pull up his name real quick. Uh, Sergeant Shriver is played by Brian Haley, who I recognize from the 90s sports comedy Little Giants. He played like a crazy sports obsessed dad, but uh, a kind of similar character here. He's just kind of this stereotypical like jerk. And, Do I play uh, I the guess... Seinfeld riff on that? Holy crap. Holy crap. That's amazing. I think that's amazing. That's your skill. That's your X-Men power that like, I thought I was good at recognizing people, but that is well, all. To be fair, like I looked up his Wikipedia prior to recording. But you this, knew what but... he was doing. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But uh, and I'm sure he's been in a lot of other stuff, too. But anyways, like he's good at playing the sort of jerk. And I guess if the show were to have been picked up, there would be like a rivalry going on there. And maybe even he'd play like sort of a hindrance to the duo, uh, you know, trying to solve their crimes. Maybe he brings his dog to the office, but it's a girl dog. And it's like, oh, Oh. or a cat. He brings in his cat. Ah, yes. Uh, That's even better. Like, you know, the rival has like the rival animal. That's yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, I think we're going to be consistently thinking of where the show would go had it at least gotten a full season. Well, we should set the – I was wondering, and uh, is Puchinski the only one animal that talks or does have other souls have gone into other people? I'm sticking with the former. I, I think – yeah, I think this is a one-off situation where he's like the only um, – He's the only – I mean, I don't know. That would be kind of crazy if this is a universe in which when people die, they turn into talking animals. That's more like a 2010 show. Like, that's, that's like 
I don't know what that is. I, that's that's crazy. But then no one realizes what kind of how, how would that I don't know. Uh, but I, I shouldn't question how that would work because I don't even sure how the show as it is works. God, God in this show is Loki. Like he's a he's a trickster. He's like oh, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson like that. <laughs> yeah, he's a little cruel here. So in the next scene, we're in the in the precinct. McKay is uh, in the captain's office asking for a different partner. You know, he's complaining. Pruchinski, he's always breaking the rules. He's always farting. We just don't get along. You know, he can't stand Puchinski. And the captain is telling him, listen, like, you can learn a lot from Puchinski. He lists all these crimes that have been solved by the guy. And I hate having to keep saying Puchinski over and over again because it's such a ridiculous name. But that is his name. I, I, I don't know if you get the first name in this um stanley sorry, I think. stanley yeah, Stan- that's it stanley buchinski but still like with a name like that what other fate could you possibly have than to be turned into a talking dog that must have been fun at ellis island like what like like what how do you get a name like Puchin? oh like your bat your destiny is bound to dogs right right like you're you can't escape them you're just drawn to them but uh yeah, so Bakay is gonna have to stay with uh, Puchinski being his partner, and I think we get a quick shot of Puchinski kind of uh, leering over a secretary. He's, he's definitely like a horn dog. I thought he was talking. It's if I remember correctly, he was talking to. No, Casey shows up. The the dispatcher shows up later. I think he is talking to just a random girl. But yeah, I, yeah, like he sees a woman and he can't help but be a, I don't know a creep about it. I guess. But uh, now the next scene here, it's at night. Puchinski and McKay are in a car on a stakeout with the bulldog, of course. He's just going to be with them from now on. And Puchinski, he's singing uh, this Dean Martin song that will come up a few times. Everybody loves somebody. This is like a big thing here. That's very showing... nice. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. So he's showing McKay a picture of his girlfriend. And I don't know. He makes a comment like, oh, yeah, you beat a lot of girls when you're in Vice. Like, what is he implying that he's like going out with prostitutes or something? I, I, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, McKay, he, he had an establishment here that he's interested in his neighbor who's a widow. So that'll come back later. He's, he's like, he hasn't gone on any dates yet. You know, he's, he's taking it very slowly. And then, uh, you know, again, they're on stakeout here, but up till a pizza delivery guy suddenly shows up for Puchinski had ordered one and it's the wrong order. And he's complaining, and McKay and him get into a big argument. Until this they, is where the whole uh, this scene, uh, but this scene or like right here is where like if if the family's watching this, the kid and the parents are looking at each other, going, "Who is this for? Is this for me? Is this for you?" This is where the tone is like, "Oh my!" Like I was wondering, and I'm wondering it again now. Is like, should would this show have benefited from? A laugh track because you know how we talked about like in our two and a half men episode that if they took out the laugh track everyone's just kind of the jokes kind of really fall flat and uh you know we're we're definitely laughing at this pilot but if there were i'm not saying it would have been a definite success but would this show benefit from a laugh track because maybe i need to be told that it's that the scene is funny like it's just like oh it does it, it it is setting it up as like this, uh, like buddy cop midnight run, but uh, it's you're not really laughing right away. Like, there's no point where you're like, it has that sitcom like, "Huh, this is really funny," and this is like the first real big joke, and it's not 
it's just awkward. It, it is because there's not really a lot of chemistry, I don't think, between these two oh, characters. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's it's like anybody comedy really where they're not gonna get along right away and over the course of their story they're gonna find common ground and wind up being uh you know finding ways to work together better but as it is now yeah like puchinski ordering a pizza during a stakeout and mckay getting upset yeah it's just a little chaotic that's a good interesting point about chemistry i'm 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 gonna guess that peter boyle was only on set for like four days three days at like yeah, it's a good point. I, I bet he's just like, I'm gonna wing it. I'm gonna give it my. I'm gonna have fun with it. Uh, I'm gonna like, you know, be loud and crude as like. Well, that's this, what uh, that's what the the show wants, right? Like they want Peter Boyle is the the center yeah. stage here, even though we only see him in person in the first ten or so minutes of the show. But yeah, he's gonna do his thing, and so for. Um, George Newbern, who's playing McKay, he kind of just has to adapt to whatever Peter Boyle is bringing to the table. And you're right. If if Peter Boyle is not on set for very long, how, are you really able to develop the chemistry that well? Probably not. So the scene is interrupted when we hear a woman screaming. And I guess the thief that they've been staking out, he's like a guy who goes up to people um, at an ATM, will rob them at gunpoint. So... You know, McKay gets out of the car and chases this guy while Puchinski calls for backup. So we get a little bit of an action scene here. And yeah, uh, McKay will chase this guy into a parking lot. And the guy gets into a sports car, it seems, some sort of fast car and drives off. And uh, Puchinski, his, his plan is to block the road with his car. But he sees the bulldog is in the street in harm's way. So he, uh, Puchinski goes, he, he, he grabs the dog. Gets him out of the way just in time, but he's too slow to get out of the way of the car, which runs him over. Hits him pretty hard. Like Oh, he goes flying an, over the windshield. Goes flying. Goes flying. Yeah. And McKay, McKay like shows up and he's calling for help. And you have this very, very oh intense, over dramatic scene here. As Puchinski's dying, him and the dog are staring into each other's eyes very <laughs> intensely. And I guess this is the transference of Puchinski's soul into this bulldog, right? Is that that's the takeaway, right? This that, is him leaving his body and entering that of the dog, <laughs> right? That is that is what they're conveying here. I can imagine the people watching this for the like that summer uh, night. It's like because once it, the mood, the tone, whiplash. It's like you start off with like. A comedy bit like ordering pizza on a stakeout and then you kind of close it with a man getting hit by a car and having us having an emotional stare down with a bulldog in between two you have this kind of intense action sequence where you're chasing down a criminal and there are shots being fired right like you're right it's like it's funny then it's then it's suspenseful and then it's supposed to be kind of sad and yeah at, at the end of this sequence of the you know Puchinski and the dog staring into each other's eyes you know uh Puchinski falls over dead and it, it it's like a very dramatic uh dissolve into the next scene which is a funeral you see a lot of people standing over the the grave and then the last one there is McKay 
and this is like all in the span of just 10 seconds from the time Puchinsky dies, you get the funeral and now McKay's by himself in the cemetery and he hears Puchinsky's voice. Like, boy, you're really beating yourself up about this, huh? And McKay looks around. Where is that voice coming from? And he sees the dog who is now Puchinsky, who says, surprise, I'm back. What do I got to do to convince you? <clears throat> Everybody loves somebody sometime. Everybody falls in love somehow. Kuczynski, how did you become a dog? All I know is I saw this big tunnel and this big shaft of light, and I heard voices at the end of it, relatives' voices. And they were calling, here, boy, here, boy, come on, come on. And next thing I knew, I had a tail. Oh, man. I cannot believe that. It, it cannot be longer than 20 seconds from the moment this guy is hit by a car to then the moment we hear his voice coming out of that dog. 20 seconds tops. Now, I'll say this. Uh, like, I was watching this pilot. I was like, oh, wow, they kind of tell you they got in everything. They got in everything they wanted you to know about this show it, within the 22 minutes. Like, his, the, you know, we'll get to meet uh, the widow and her daughter. We, we meet uh, his co-workers and boss. But this 20-second funeral scene and then him popping up as the dog, that should have been – if we wanted at least like a taste of like comedy and emotional that, – that dramedy that this show was kind of going for, it should have him like waking up in the dog's body in like an alleyway or yeah. something like that going like, huh? What? Why do I? Uh? Like making Tim, I'm making Tim Allen noises, but she, like you can have you can have comedy moments with that. Like why does every, why do I smell cheese and oh my god, hey, good looking. He's like barking. All he is is barking at a yeah, person. Yeah, you're right. Or maybe you get his POV where like it's like yeah. the eyes opening and huh, what's going on? Why am I so short? Why do I smell so many things all of a sudden? Yeah, you're right. Like have some moment of realization, but you don't get that. You just get surprise. He's a dog now. And then a newspaper flies down, and you see like cop dead. So he goes to his own funeral, and then that's when you can kind of have, as sad as it is, like it could be funny into like you know his ex wife is like he wasn't much of a man. He was a monster. Like you know he wasn't much of a father. He he, he owes me he owes me money. And then you find out it's like oh man I kind of wasted my life. Right, but you don't get you don't even know who attends his funeral. It's you assume yeah. it's. Also, if he was an accomplished police sergeant, I would think that there'd be a much more. Um, oh my god! To yeah, do about guns. right? Yeah. Oh my That's god! Good saying. point. I didn't even think about that. When a police officer dies, especially in the the uh, what do you call it, the line of duty? Yeah. It's not just like a small <laughs> gathering of people. It's there's like a whole event there to honor him dying to you know, to, to protect and serve. So it's a very rushed sequence obviously like i said it all happens in the span of 20 seconds here but there's like no thought into any of that or interest in what this guy's life as a human was like who else is attending this funeral his did he have a family did he have any friends we have no idea no, the only it, person that he conveys that he's now a dog is his partner who he didn't even get along with so that that is where we are at this commercial and it's one of those things where they just want to get to the talking dog stuff, right? That's that's if you're one of the producers of this, that is the meat of the pilot is getting to that, and you have to brush everything else aside 
to get to that moment because this is the i don't know are we even halfway through the pilot yet at this point i think we're like somewhere between a third and halfway through so yeah you you want enough time i guess if you're writing this and filming this you want a, a good enough time with him as a dog to establish what the rest of the show will be like but uh man <laughs> you definitely have to cut a lot out to get there you know you have to fast track it in a way which is just crazy oh i know what i would cut if i really if like you know we're kind of talking about how we can improve this pilot like that the whole first season and i'm not saying each episode is dedicated but if they got like at least like let's say 22 episodes hell even 12 the first season should at least be him trying to like solve his murder like who killed me then what maybe it leads to something like oh my god this guy's done it again like right right that should be like the mission for the first several episodes but as we see that is really just what they're doing in this first episode that happened so fast so we get back from the commercial and we continue this scene here in the cemetery where Puchinski is proving to McKay that he is who he is, right? He's, he's saying all these things that only Puchinski would know, recalling all the recent events. And McKay is like coming to grips with this, right? He's at first, obviously, he doesn't want to believe this, but he's very quick to accept that his deceased partner is now this talking dog. And he's okay with it. He's like, he's, he's like, all right, I guess you're a talking dog now. And he asks, okay, what are you going to do now that you're a dog? And I wrote this line down, and this was also in the trailer. Pruszynski says, first I'm going to try licking myself, and then I'm going to catch my killer. <laughs> that, that is what he says he's going to do. So uh, McKay, you know, he's telling him that he's off the case now. He'll try to get back on the case Shriver is now leading the investigation, so Puchinski, I guess, is going to encourage McKay to, to get back on the case and solve the crime himself. He's like, oh, your partner, your partners get killed, and you're not going to even solve it? So that's uh, where we're going to be leading into in the next episode, or in the next scene, I should say. But, uh, man, like, first I'm going to try licking myself. Okay, he's a dog now, I guess, but he's, he seems to be really into being a dog. Right, like we we're gonna get a scene later on where he comes to grips. It hasn't hit him yet. Right, it hasn't. But it's it's not it that hasn't, hasn't hit, hit him. him yet. It, it, it's almost like he's kind of into it. He's like, yeah, I'm a dog now. This is kind of cool. I'm gonna try licking myself. Unbelievable. The one part about that scene that I just found so odd is just like, at one point, I and maybe the dog moved and and they decided to roll with it, but the dog just starts eating grass. Either oh, that's way. right. At one point, he starts eating grass to purposely make himself throw up. I, I didn't understand but why he, he didn't was doing do that. anything. Like he didn't throw up, or it was just like it's so. I think just to, uh, part of me thinks like if you're standing at the thing too long, you know, like if you're doing a play and the director, oh, be I like, see. Okay, they you're at the to... table too long. Let's block you guys by the door. Right. They need to stage it in a way that's a little more dynamic. Okay. Yeah, right, that's right. my. Yeah, so maybe that's my guess. That's. That's probably a good guess. Yeah, they they don't want just uh, too long of the two going back and forth. But uh, other scenes will kind of be like that anyway. So in the next scene here, we're back at the precinct. And McKay and Puchinski arrive. And Shriver is uh, mocking McKay until Puchinski pees on his leg. Who didn't see that coming? But this is – that. that's oh, awkward editing. I, 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 I – Oh, yeah, yeah. I put that in. But that – 
peeing on the leg. That's what this show should be. That's the kind of humor the show is going for. Like, I'm a dog. It's all dog humor, right? So he's going to pee on a leg and he's going to just do all this other dog stuff. I'm even questioning, like, what if there was a version of the show where Peter Boyle is not killed and resurrected as a dog, but it's just these two guys, buddy cops, and there's also a third character who is the dog that could just be a normal dog. I think that could have been interesting because, you know, I personally just enjoy Peter Boyle being himself. Isn't that Turner and Hooch? Oh, I guess. No, that's just one guy and a dog. Oh, oh, <laughs> two, two and a half, two and a half you dogs. Seen, <laughs> you've seen one guy with a dog. Now two guys with a dog. Okay. Uh, so now we have uh, McKay leaving Puchinski with the secretary, and he's still a horned dog. So he's basically, as a dog, going to be practically assaulting this poor woman who's also kind of into it. I don't know. She, I guess that's she just the Casey. That's the case. The dispatcher from the very beginning, and she—he's. It was very. We were very loose in the nineties, like I like it would. <laughs> well, I mean, she's just sort of. This, a lot of progress has been made. I'll say that. <laughs> thankfully, so because otherwise, this character is like a very over-the-top ditz, and has no idea that this dog is basically uh, molesting her. Uh, meanwhile, McKay goes to the captain in his office. He's asking to be put back on the case, but the captain's like, no, no, no. Like, you just lost your partner. Go home. So now we're going to go in the next scene. We're going to go to McKay's apartment building. And so him and Puchinski arrive, and they uh, they run into uh, the neighbor, Franny, and her daughter, Katie. So the love interest there. They run into each other on the elevator. And we get a little bit of Puchinski sort of dragging McKay around, right? The dynamic, I guess, is still the same where he's kind of, you know, uh, can be the domineering person in this friendship. Oh, but there's a line in the elevator where Casey, the young, the daughter is like, oh, what's the dog's name? And he goes, Stanley Puchinski. And she goes like completely serious. That's a great name for a dog. I was angry at that. I was like, no, it's not. What are you doing? The, the joke is like you should have been like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like who named right, the right, dog like, oh, Stanley Puchinski? Right, like, that's a funny name. If you just said, "Oh, his name is Puchinski," just that, okay, that because you know he's a pooch. Okay, fine. You're right. She, it's weird that she's so into that name, or she thinks it's a nice name, or whatever. But uh, I imagine that if this show were to continue, then this daughter character, Katie, I think is her name. She would be basically just fawning over the dog and... Oh, she would babysit him. Like, he, she would maybe... She could go... She could run away from home and he could oh, yeah. join her. He would find her or maybe, like, right? There would be maybe a, an episode where she's in trouble and Puchinski tracks her scent and saves her or something, right? Like, that Yeah, that could be it. But she's... I, I think she's gung-ho about the dog from the get-go because maybe they would have planned for the two of them to maybe have... Uh, some sort of friendship to develop. Uh, and then, yeah, after getting off the elevator, Puchinski gives McKay a hard time about, you know, not making a move on Franny and be, being hesitant. Obviously, we see Puchinski's strategy is to just uh, force himself <laughs> on a woman. So two opposite ends of the spectrum here. This couch is about as comfortable as a slab at the morgue. Excuse me? Unless you're going to charge an enormous stud fee for me, you don't expect me to keep payments on my place, do you? Don't worry, I'll be out of here as soon as we wrap up this case. Stone put me on the investigation. He did not mention anything about working with a bulldog. <sighs> don't call me that. Why not? Look at yourself. You're a dog. I'm a cop. 
Need I remind you who caught the North Hill Strangler or the post office bomber? That's when you were making collars, not wearing one. I'm a better cop with four legs than you'll ever be with two. So in the next scene here, we're in McKay's apartment, and Pachiski is howling at police sirens, and he's basically doing all these sort of stereotypical dog stuff. He's watching a little Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we get another argument here between McKay and Pachinski. And he basically, McKay throws him out. He's like, just get out of here. And I'm a cop. That, he oh, said that's that. right. That's right. Yeah. So there, you get the big line here. <laughs> the two are arguing. And you have a line where McKay says to him, uh, you're a dog. And Pachinski says, I'm a cop. It's like, nope, you're a dog. <laughs> you're not a cop anymore. But. Uh, yeah, he he basically throws Pachinski out, but later Franny just brings him back. Well, and you have uh, a scene. You do have a scene too when after first getting. I want to talk about this scene. Right yeah. after first getting thrown out of the apartment, Pachinski goes into the elevator and asks the guy on the elevator who's not paying attention, fifth floor, please. And the guy does not realize that a dog asked him to do that. And it's not until after Pachinski gets off the elevator that the guy is like a little suspicious, like, wait, what just happened? But that brings up a good point. He is, he, is Pachinski able to talk to anybody? I, I kind of think of the old family guy joke, like, does the family understand the baby? What's going on here? Like, what are the rules? Like, and I know they're doing it for the joke. The guy, you know, the guy didn't react as confused as I, you know, wanted him to, but uh, it's... What are well, the something, rules here? To, it's like, something out of a farce, right? I could see this happening in a zany comedic movie where it, it, it's set up that way too. The guy is the guy in the elevator is really into his newspaper, so he's not paying attention. He doesn't see. He assumes, I guess, that it's a person talking to him. And you get that moment after Buczynski gets off the elevator where the guy slowly lowers the newspaper. It, it's you know we've seen moments like that in other stories right like that sort of slow take like wait what just happened oh yeah you and... can hear the trailer music over it like huh right right exactly so it's it's a bit of a cliched moment there but again it raises the question like how, how does this work why does Puchinski choose to only talk to mckay and right like I, I, there there's no rules here so it's kind of like they're making it up as they go along which is fine i don't need this to be an airtight concept but that was a curious moment yeah. So, yeah, Franny brings back Puchinski, and she offers to cook dinner, right, because she was apologizing. Oh, like, I, I heard about your partner. So sorry. And so, yeah, the Franny and her daughter come in and start cooking, and Puchinski is going to try to play wingman here. He puts on that Dean Martin song again on the stereo. Everybody loves somebody. I, it's amazing how he's able to work stereo system yeah. <laughs> with his paws and the right song the right song at the right time right right is that on the radio i i don't know if the guy or he just happens to have the cd but uh then this gets into another sort of um i don't know, farcical moment here mckay turns off the music and puts pachinski in the bedroom he leaves for a second and then he goes back to see pachinski basically destroying all the bedding and there's a moment here where they close the bedroom door and you don't see it, but there's like a fight or ruckus going on in the bedroom between the two of them. And Franny's outside the door kind of listening and like, huh, what's going on in there? So and interesting yeah, thing about that. They wanted is, to do like a whole thing. Oh, do you know about or? Yeah, yeah. I read this. They wanted to do 
the, the production team here, they wanted to film a sort of physical comedic set piece here in the bedroom. But again, because of how the dog turned out with its freakishly long legs, they weren't able to do that. So it had to be something that was suggested instead of actually shown, unfortunately. Now, the more I think about it, as we're talking about what this pilot like should have, would have, could have been, this feels like a second episode to me. It's like, oh, they're like, oh, I'm inviting, uh, yeah. I'm inviting uh, Franny over, uh, Franny and her daughter over for dinner. Meanwhile, like, okay, you just got into a fight. You like, you just yelled at the guy. You're like, you're not a cop. You're a dog. And and uh, he, P- uh, Puchinski should have ran away. Should have been like, f this. I'm gonna. Well, and where's he going to go? To, I guess maybe to his old house or just somewhere that like enough that the girl could be like, oh, I wanted to see the dog. And he's like, uh, the dog's not here. What happened? He's like, uh, all right, I'll be a good owner. Like, I'll help you find like he should have just been like, I, I was too bad to my owner because man, is this pilot trying to do so many things at once? It's trying to establish so many things at once. And maybe over time. You know, a lot uh, a good storyteller in TV, you just learn how to go at your own pace. Don't worry, you'll get there. Like, you don't need to – this dinner scene is a really good second episode. <laughs> yeah, right? It would be good too because you don't need to introduce the romantic interest in the first episode either, right? You could have just mentioned it like they did earlier yeah, and then get to it, like you said, in episode two, focus more on just – what is already enough, which is someone becoming a dog. I, I, that should be enough to fill one 20-minute episode. Uh, but uh, after throwing Puchinski in the bathroom and walking away for a second, he goes – McKay goes back into the bathroom. And now we get kind of a solemn scene here. Puchinski is – Best scene he's, ever. He's like wallowing a bit here. He's like, oh, it's all sinking in now. I've become a dog. And he's now down on himself. And McKay has to – cheer him back up and is he's encouraging Pachinski to be grateful for having a second chance you know it's life precious life and he offers Pachinski to stay with him so now we get a little bit of a reconciliation here but it's a very dramatic scene here right like oh it's it's hitting me it's only hitting him now that he's become a dog and it's it's sinking in that you know his whole life is over basically you know his girlfriend who we never meet uh his house his life it's all over and now he has to be a dog. The reason why this scene is so great is at least if you just watch the trailer, there's like, you know, they give this whole rundown of the sh- what the show is. And they show this this clip of him looking into the mirror going like, it, look at me. I've become a dog. It's sinking in now. And they have this like melodramatic violin music. It's just this. And the oh. narrator in the trailer, there's a narrator. It's, it's so serious, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. In the trailer, there's a narrator who's like, "It's poignant," <laughs> and you hear, and then it, it shows a clip of this scene. Like, what are we supposed to take away from the audience? I guess, you know, okay, life, precious life. Be grateful for having a second chance at life, even though now you're a dog, which kind of sucks. It's just like maybe the movement of the puppet, how it just like goes from like the mirror to the other side. It just. Oh, this it's all is, it's this so is why unnatural. I love TV. This is so great. <laughs> it's so unnatural looking how the dog moves back and forth and talks, right? Everything you can't take it seriously, even though they're really trying to sell this moment as somewhat melodramatic in a way. Now obviously it just makes it the most funny scene 
even though that's unintentional. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they probably. Did. I wonder if any of the NBC executives were like, "We love it," but uh, even without the dog, but th- they had to be laughing. They had to be. They had to be thinking to themselves, like, "What is this?" And you know, t- uh, from what I read, Tartakov did like a lot of it, except for how off-putting the animatronic dog was. So. It's almost as if that if they got that aspect of it right, if they really got this dog puppet at least a little more uh, workable, right, not as monstrous looking, that maybe this could have been greenlit for uh, a season. We would have gotten 10 or so episodes of this. Who knows? But Puchinsky, Puchinsky goes tropical. <laughs> like, like a whole franchise. Well, oh, my God. Can you imagine just spin And like you said, if you – maybe establish that this is a world where a lot of people who die are turned into animals, then, hey, that could be a whole thing. Buczynski meets a parrot. It was like, yeah, I used to be a waitress. Like something. I want to take that back. I want to take back. The only thing I ever – I want – I would want out of this show, I don't want – that's too existential. That's too beyond this show. But I – this show is basically building up, and I imagined all the creators talked about it. It's like at one point – uh, McKay leaves him alone. He goes on a date with Franny. He leaves uh, Puchinski alone, and he comes back, and they're all him and a bunch of other dogs are sitting at a poker table. Oh, that totally had to be something they envisioned for the show. You're absolutely right because that's like yeah. cl- again classic dog humor. I feel like I had to have seen that in a movie or two yeah. already. How right? he got the dogs in, how he got them to play cards and smoke cigars, who knows? But that's like what this show is. It's all building to that one shot whenever right. that would have happened. Right. Just visual gags. That is what they really were striving for here. So now we get to the climax of the episode. We're on the street. I think they mentioned that some time has gone by, like a week or so. Yeah, he's and- staking out. Like that, the ATM for about a week, they say. Right, right. Puchinski is on the sidewalk, and now he's using his scent, his or his power of smell, to try to track his killer. And it works, right? He's like, oh, I, I smell him. You don't smell him? And just then, we hear another victim getting robbed at an ATM. And... Broad daylight. Yeah, <laughs> right. Also, yeah, that. This is all broad daylight. <laughs> it's a busy day. But I don't know. Maybe that was Chicago in 1990. Who knows? But uh, there's a chase scene here. McKay chases the killer into an alley, and there's a fight. And Puchinski helps out. There's a moment where Puchinski bites the groin of the criminal, which it doesn't happen in the actual episode. But I like in the trailer, they show that moment. And the sound effect is like someone biting a potato chip. Very bizarre. Uh, But basically, the two of them were able to subdue the killer and you get a little newspaper shot, or I think actually just like a framed photo of the, I don't know McKay getting congratulated yeah, by the captain. Yeah, they get the medal. Yeah, right, right. And Puchinski is there. So you're right. It's what should have been a season long arc of finding his killer is just the crime of the week. Even though that's the that crime of the week really establishes the whole premise of the series. Yeah. Uh, and- so I don't know. That that's great. It's like you get a sense that the subsequent episodes that would have happened again are just crimes of the week and this is just another one of them even though it sets the whole story into motion but i i kind of like i would have been okay with them solving the murder in the first episode if they just gave like the killer some not like a full-on character but like 
ah, you evaded me all these. If it wasn't just robbing an ATM, like you evaded me all these years, uh, or I evaded you all these years, Puchinski. I'm the one you never caught. I'm. Oh, good point. He's like, just, just any other criminal. Who, it's just a guy. Like even I wanted a, a at least a joke for for a show that's supposed to be funny, like uh, like oh, I've been staking out this ATM for a week. I'm learning how to use my nose. Like, oh, don't you smell them? I, menthol cigarettes and burnt pizza crusts. Like, something like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's something like, I don't know. You're right. It, it, there's no payoff there at all, unfortunately. N- nothing. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's that scene. And we get this little capper here where McKay and Puchinski, they're now roommates, right? This this would, I guess, not just be a buddy cop show, but also like a roommate show. Like odd, the odd couple. odd couple type situation. They're arguing over... The remote, what to put on, and then Puchinski is gonna eat one of McKay's loafers, and they chase each other around the apartment. Zoom out, Chicago skyline, end of episode. Da na 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 na. What do you think you're doing? It's the ninth race from Arlington. I got some money riding on it. It's my apartment, my TV. We watch what I want. Remember, I'm on Canine Squad. We're partners again. Yes, but not equal ones. I don't get a vote. Not in this life. Then I'm afraid you leave me no choice. Mmm, loafers, my favorite. Hey, hey, drop it. Drop it, drop it. Bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. And there you have it. That's all we get of Puchinski. And that's all we'll ever get. <laughs> well, you know, even though this premiered uh, 33 years ago, right now this is all you're going to get. But, you know, I, we should be grateful we get this at least because it is amazing. I... I'm very thankful that when you showed this to me that this exists. And granted, I think uh, Puchinski in this form should only exist as a pilot. It's, well, you know, I was Of course thinking, it's not good, but damn, it's like Showgirls good. <laughs> right, right. It's like that sort of ironic viewing, so bad it's good. But I was thinking about this, especially during our conversation just now going through the episode. I think maybe this should have been – like a a movie or like even just a TV movie, right? Like some sort of light TV special where they do this crazy concept and you could have made it longer and made it more of a payoff when he catches the criminal and pay off a little bit more of when he dies and what his life was like, da da da. And more of the moments of him discovering he's a dog, right? Everything we just said that was missing, that they had a fast track, you could have done in like maybe a 90 minute TV special a totally one-off project. I think that could have made it work a little better. And, you know, I don't think you really had to then subsequently come up with more stories for this, or maybe if it was successful enough as a 90 minute TV special, then maybe you could come up with uh 20 minute episodes following that. But as is, you know, it's just crazy how much they tried to do within the 20 minute time span of a normal pilot. You make a good point. I do think this probably would have been – I'm surprised this wasn't made into a movie because the talent behind it, like uh, – I have like arrows pointed. Brian Levitt, did, he directed Jingle All the Way and The Flintstones. Uh, David Kirshner uh, produced Chucky and Hocus Pocus. And Lou Diamond, he wrote the Leave it to Beaver movie, and he ended up writing for – television as well but like you probably could have gotten a better uh animatronic and 
I remember during yeah, the 90s, higher budget. Yeah, a higher budget would have gone a much longer way. John Ritter right. would have probably been the star. Oh yeah, or maybe like he would have been the the buddy or something. Like, well, he I mean, because he was still youngish at the time. He was at least younger than Peter Boyle. If Charles so, Grodin could be the star of Beethoven, John oh, sure, Ritter yeah. can be the star of Puczynski the movie. But yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and what you could have had too is um, right. Or sorry, what I mean to say is that you made a good point in that all these people who worked on the development of this, their experience prior was all in film. So why did they all of a sudden want to take this idea to TV when they have more of a filmmaker's sensibility in terms of, you know, scoping out concepts and and different story ideas and, and developing them, right? Like who knows, right? Go back in time and what else could have been, but uh, it's very interesting that they envisioned this for TV when it really was not a practical medium for this concept. No, it, it, it like I imagine once again that like I imagine when someone had the idea, and you're like, granted, I, I would say you check the internet to see if it's real, but at the time you you didn't have the internet, but you're just going like, you know, we've I love buddy cop shows. Has there ever been a one where a guy talks to his dog? But I instead of like instead of leaning into the whimsy of it, it is just kinda tonally all over the place that makes it funny. We're laughing at it, but damn is it like awkward. It's like if you watch this at like a at a film festival, it, it's kinda like the room. Like you're like, you know, Tommy Wiseau is just sitting there they're like, why are they laughing at this? Right, right. It's it's awkward at times. It's just very bizarre, right? It just comes off as very yeah, strange. That's a great word. And I just, uh, I don't know. I, I can't even remember how exactly I even discovered this myself. Just maybe from- You showed it to me. Ex- remember that. I, I, I know, I know. So I, I'm owning that. I discovered this probably just from hours and hours of mining the depths of YouTube. And obviously- I see the trailer first, and I don't think I realized that the actual full pilot had been uploaded to YouTube until many years later. So for the longest time, really only had that two-minute trailer, which was enough, right? You don't even really have to watch the whole episode to get the gist of it, really. You but, showed uh, it to me. Yeah. You showed me the trailer like as if you just discovered like $100,000 in the bush. It's like, Keith, look what I just found. Oh, I had to show everybody, <laughs> right? Had, and, oh, yeah. And this was during a time where I was still very much obsessed with the room and going through my phase of um, you know discovering all the so bad it's good content, which I still love. Those are good times, yeah. And I still consider myself a uh, connoisseur of so bad it's good content. Uh, you know, not so much anymore. But you know, once in a while I'll go back to movies like The Room or Troll Two. But this we is... discovered the greats. Like we we really kind of uh, yeah. Like some battle, are better than Battlefield others. Battlefield Earth, Showgirls. Uh... And we've right, seen right. the the bad bad too. Like I uh, I just finished uh, the third season of Only Murders in the Building, and the only thing in my head, and I'm probably the only person like I friggin' watched that movie where Martin Short played a ten year old boy. Oh right right um ah oh, what was that called? It wasn't called like Jack or something, but it was called um. No, it wasn't. I'm uh, aware. I'm aware of what that movie is. Right. Very, very bizarre stuff. I think I watched like 10 minutes of that where I'm like, this is actually in the unwatchable territory. 
Uh, Clifford. No, yeah, Cl- Clifford. That's it. Yeah, Clifford. I knew it was like one name, but yeah, that very, very bizarre. We watched that as a, well. a good amount. We watched like 40, 45 minutes, and then I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, this right. Is- Sometimes something is so bad that you actually can't stomach it for the whole duration. Uh, and so who knows? Also, if this was as bizarre and as awkward for 90 minutes, I don't know if I could get through all that either. It depends. It, it, yeah, it on uh you know we're imagining what i keep thinking like simpsons poochie we keep imagining what poochinski could have been but we also like this is what we got and it also feels like uh, a show I'm within very a thankful, show but yeah right yeah. doesn't this seem like something 30 rock would have like you know oh jack is gonna tell liz lemon like oh we got this great peter boyle vehicle called uh poochinski where he's turned into a talking dog right it, it sounds like that or wasn't there a show within the show at 30 Rock where, like, God, it's like a buddy cop with God, right? Like, let us pray. To who? Uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, oh, so, but I, And I can hear Liz Lemon going, like, his name is a dog name? Like, <laughs> His name is Puchinski before, when he's a human? Right. Yeah. Right. All, all of that stuff. Uh, so, you know, that's – obviously, this did not get the green lights – no. And so we cannot say whether or not we would keep watching because we don't even have that opportunity to do so. But we can only imagine. But everyone should watch the pilot. Right. I highly recommend it. You will have a fun time and you'll never forget it. It's the most one of the most memorable 20 minutes of television you'll ever witness. So that's how we end our, our year, Keith. Uh, talking about Puchinski. I think that was a nice little gift, a nice little bonus for the holidays that we did. Great way to end the year. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's um, yeah, we're going to be moving on quickly next year to the next set of shows that we want to mine. And, you know, we've been focusing so much on broadcast television for many of our first uh, genres of TV that, you know, we want to also go into uh, one of the most prestigious channels of television of all time, premium cable, HBO. So look out in the next year for discussions on what we consider to be the rise of HBO. So that will be coming in 2024. So until then, uh, enjoy the rest of the holidays, the new year, and we'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X formerly twitter at take us to the pilot that's take us to the pilot with the number two attention passengers we've now reached our destination we hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day